You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. My name is Mike Casaza. No Chris Anderson this week bringing in the next best thing. Not even the next best thing. The best thing. Justin Jackson from the Dominion Post here to talk about Big 12 basketball postseason starts Wednesday night with the Mountaineers playing Kansas State. And then I guess let's begin right here, Mr. Jackson. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. How you doing, Mike? Terrific. Um, do they have a postseason bid that is not the NCAA tournament on the table? Oh, goodness. West Virginia? Yes, the team that we cover. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, did not specify. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if it's not a miracle run, NCAA's, then you know you gotta. Boy, I tell you, you know, and, and, you know, unless they got to like the finals of the Big Twelve or something like that, I can't really see how it would be the NIT. Um, now, I may be wrong on that, and of course, the NITs. You know, change their rules a little bit. You don't necessarily have to have a winning record, a 500 record anymore, to be considered for the NIT. But I would just have a hard time believing that. Uh, you know, like if they were to lose Wednesday night, or even uh, you know maybe win Wednesday and lose to Kansas on Thursday, I would have a hard time thinking the NIT would would think they were one of the the other 32 teams out there. So then, you know, so then you're thinking, well, CBI and, and, and you know, just from what Coach Huggins was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago, it sounds like there is some interest there in continuing to play if it did come down to CBI. I'm not sure how much uh, fans would really kind of get behind something like that. But, uh, I, 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 you know, I think they could play in the CBI. Uh, I, I think that's a possibility. And, and. And personally, you know, why not? You know, I mean, you know, it gives you a chance to kind of keep playing. And, you know, and you know, they were in the CBI in 2019. And, you know, that didn't exactly work out. But, uh, you know, the sun, you know, we all got over it and and, uh, and moved on. So I, I think they could get to the CBI. I, um, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with them uh, playing in the CBI. We're going, right? It's in Daytona Beach. Daytona Beach, yeah, that's the thing people need to know about. Uh, the CBI isn't exactly the CBI that you remember from 2019. It's uh, There's no more uh, home court advantages in the early rounds. The entire tournament is now a single elimination in Daytona Beach. I think it's the Ocean Center, right? Uh, now, I'm yeah. not familiar with it, but uh, it's Daytona Beach, Florida in March. So it can't be uh, all that bad. No, Spring, no. Right? Spring break. <laughs> let's do it uh things you ready for some nitology you've got it hit me all right if you win a conference regular season championship and you right. do not win your conference tournament you get an automatic bid automatic to, the NIT, bid. to the nit so that's going to gobble up some of the 32 um and, this is what's and that's that's been the case for the last, I mean, I think they've had that rule in place for like, uh, you know, like the last five, six, seven yep. years. It's kind of been that way. So, so if you're hanging on the NIT right now and you want to see the team play, maybe some home games, play some more, who knows what happens. Perhaps these freshmen, never mind. They're not getting off the bench. But 
you're paying attention to championship week and like these, these mid-major tournaments that are happening. There's been some upsets already. So some of these regular season champions are not going to win the championship. They're going to get in. Will it take up all 32? No, but that's a bunch of them. And then like a lot of the bubble teams, your first four, last four, all that stuff, they're going to take up some of them to the ones that don't get in. Like, you're right. No 500 record. I think that's a misconception people have too. I was not aware of this. Like they've already started balloting for this. It's just crazy. Like you turn in a list of like, I think it's 32 teams or something like that. And then anybody who's not listed on all but one of them gets nixed. So you really have to be like an obvious team late in the season. And, and West Virginia is just not right there. Now you can get onto a ballot, secret ballot too, Justin, because God forbid anybody knows who you voted for, <laughs> the NIT. But you can get on the ballot later on. So yeah, if they did something where, hey, they won their final regular season game and then beat, you know, Kansas State, Kansas. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be, would be like Texas. No. Uh, yeah, it would be like a, like a like a Texas Tech or something like that. They win those three and they get into the final and they lose. Hey, maybe that's strong enough to get them in. But the CBI, I just wonder if that's an expense that they want to incur because unlike the previous experience of the CBI, they don't have a freshman core that is going to benefit from playing. This isn't Culver, Matthews, McCabe, and, and look how far and how well that went too. So I kind of feel like if they don't win four games, it might be done, which – it's perhaps not a bad thing for this team either because I think right. it, there's probably a sense of accomplishment of just winning a game Saturday on senior day and not giving Huggins an eight-game losing streak and kind of doing the senior day thing correctly. And it seemed like there was some sort of, sort of relief slash accomplishment out of just winning on Saturday. Well, you know, the, the one thing, like if you were to kind of compare this year to the 2019 season when they went to the CBI, the one thing that's obviously different and coach Huggins has kind of talked about how you know at the end of the year you know he started playing all the well most of the freshmen and 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 started kind of building towards next year what people forget was that that wasn't really maybe necessarily by choice it was that hand was kind of forced on him in 2019 because you had Wes Harris uh, got uh, basically removed from the team Nisa Maud basically got removed uh, from that team uh, that was in mid-season uh, I think that was the year uh, Sagaball Kanate got hurt and basically only played like the first eight mm-hmm. games of the year so he was out for most of that season and so you know those were kind of the veteran guys who weren't on the team anymore so he really kind of got forced into playing uh, you know he, he was going to play Derek Culver a lot that year as a freshman but he got forced into playing uh, like Jordan McCabe that first year and um, Emmett Matthews probably got a lot more playing time once uh, Issa got removed from the team and that kind of stuff. So those guys um, benefited, I guess you could say, from playing late, a lot of games late in the regular season. And then they made a nice little run in the Big 12 tournament that year. And then, of course, uh, you know, they played a couple of games in the, in the CBI. Um, what's different from this year is that, you know, he's got a bunch of older guys on the team who – haven't been you know removed or suspended or kicked off and so there just hasn't been as much uh, need or room to play those freshmen like there was in 2019 so kind of a different scenario there whereas if he was playing younger guys this year maybe there would be kind of a a need to play in the CBI to kind of continue their development but uh, I I don't think those uh you know, older guys are, are, are going to, you know, they're not, he's not going to just stop playing the older guys all of a sudden. And so the, the situations are a little different. Yeah. 
Definitely. And and you're right. Um, Kanate played eight games. Uh, don't forget Beetle Bolden checked out of that season too. Oh yeah. Beetle Bolden. Yeah. Goodness. In addition to Culver uh, West. Um, and then I'm looking at the starts here. Culver started 14 out of, uh, excuse me, Ahmad and, and Harris. Uh, Culver started 14 out of 26 games. McCabe well, you started... remember he got suspended at the beginning of that year. Clearly. Right. So, so he, yeah. he worked his way into it and then kind of showed up late for the final game of the season. But he he was making <laughs> he was making up for lost time like he was kind of a fixture but still he he was trying to get back ten games and you knew he was going to be a guy so sure play him uh, McCabe really came on when he became the starter he started fifteen games and he was excellent I mean his shooting right. percentages his assists were great and Matthews is a guy who I think he was the person who probably benefited most as far as like a a pecking order of playing time I don't know that we knew what they had with him until he started playing more but he he maybe peaked I don't know but then the other guys in that team Harler Route Napper. Those are guys who are going to be part of it in the future, and, and you just don't see that here. They, they could have um, – well, let's get into this now. They, their roster situation is such that they could have one more spot to fill. They could have three more spots to fill. Um, it sounds to me, and you may disagree, Sean McNeil probably not coming back. Whoa. Are we all right? Are you there? Yeah, someone just rang the doorbell, and the dogs went crazy. Sorry about that. Okay. It's Huggins. Stop slander. <laughs> Anyhow, could have one, could have three more spots. I think it's probably safe to assume they're not going to get both Kedrian Johnson and Sean McNeil back. Sean McNeil kind of let it slip that maybe that was his last game. Um, Kedrian Johnson has been asking fans, should he come back, which typically means he's going to come back. Yeah, so let's I saw just, that. Then, yeah, that's a pretty good sign he's probably going to come back. So let's say they have two and nothing else happens. All the freshmen come back. Jalen Bridges, Isaiah Cottrell come back, everybody who's committed signs. So they have two spots to get to 13. You're in charge of recruiting, Justin. You're the big hire in the offseason to fix it. Oh, boy. Where, where do you go? What do you do? How do you, is it junior college? Is it transfer portal? Is it high school? Is it guard, forward, forward, forward? How would you fill in the last two gaps here? The, the one question I would, like if I was in charge of the program, the one question I would have to ask myself, at the end of the season, whenever that may be in order to, you know, fill out the remaining scholarships is what direction do I want to take with the younger guys? And, and by that, I mean, uh, not necessarily Jalen Bridges, but obviously, you know, he's going to be a big part of the team next year or, or, or should be. Um, but I'm speaking more in terms of uh, guys like uh, Isaiah Cottrell, James Oconquo, uh, Jamel King, Kobe Johnson, uh, Seth Wilson, obviously, uh, that bunch. If Do I want to make those guys my core of the team next year? And if that answer is yes, then I'm going to have to put up with a lot of growing pains and maybe another unsuccessful season next year as those guys mature and get better. If my answer is I want to win next year, then I'm probably going to go out and, and in the transfer portal and I'm going to try to get uh, the oldest, well, maybe not necessarily the oldest, but the, the, the uh, experienced uh, forwards, centers that I can get. Uh, and if, if Kedrian does come back, I guess I could live with Kedrian and Kobe at the point uh, you know, I can live with Seth Wilson at the shooting guard. I can live with uh, uh, Jalen, obviously, uh, as a three guy. Um, and I can live with, you know, Isaiah Cottrell 
kind of being a starter or, you know, kind of dependent on, on who I get out of the portal, I guess that would be a, a question mark there is whether or not uh, what Cottrell's role would be next year. But I would get the um, most experienced forwards that I could get or most talented forwards that I could find uh, four guys, uh, maybe even a five guy, if there, if there is a five guy out there, but it really kind of depends on what side of the fence you want to sit on. Do you want to, truly develop these young guys or do you want to try to win uh next year so they're, they're, i guess those would be my two answers my answer would be i would want to live with the young guys and even if that meant i struggled again next year if i could keep that core group together i would um do that with everything that i had and i would i would go with that bunch and then as far as the remaining scholarships i would just try to find other young guys to go behind them instead of trying to find uh, older and more experienced guys to play in front of, if that makes sense. Well, it does. And not only that, but it's, it's the, the Huggins way too, because he's going to be loyal to guys who have been loyal to him. He has some sort of a push and shove relationship with the transfer portal that we can get to in a second. And I don't think he wants to have newcomers leapfrog and thus hurt the feelings of players who are already on his roster. And then if he brings in younger players, then he's also kind of supplementing for the future too, where he can have a cycle of young players who grow old and he can keep that going, which is a rare thing nowadays too. So that's hard that's, to do it. Yeah. Now, can he get young players right now? There's a, there's an interesting debate. There is the portal such that now that your high school recruiting has been diluted a little bit, and maybe there's more players who are overlooked and under recruited who are out there. Um, and do they exist outside of like Ohio? I don't know. We'll see. Cause like a lot of their high school recruiting has been focused on Ohio <laughs> lately, which hasn't been right. bad, but there are 49 other States and I'm not sure how many they're interested in getting into, but it just occurs to me. They haven't had like Metro New York city area guys for a long, long time. And think about how, how good that was on very good teams. What, what are those players like? I mean, is that part of the future is to try to get I don't know, that, that grassroots, that, that high school recruit, who becomes a freshman, sophomore, and then by the time he's a junior, he's a really good contributor for them. Sooner the better, obviously, but there's a chance to do that. That's what's so fascinating he's, is he's going to press a button here. Is it reset? Is it redirect? I don't know, but like I'm kind of fascinated by that because I'm sensing that he's probably getting pulled in one direction by people who are telling him what he wants to do, what he has to do. And then he's thinking about you know, what's worked before. I have all these wins, all these conference championships, all these coach of the year awards. I feel like, I feel like he diverted a little bit this year from maybe who or what he had been. And I wonder if he just doesn't go back to what he knew which was big guys play defense and rebound and try to get people who want to be here and buy in. And um, that might be young people or, or even junior college guys too. Like he's, he's going to add two junior college guys to this class. And, and one of them recently, um, we're both a fan of Federico Federico, right? <laughs> right. Sure. Absolutely. All makes sense. Right. So get guys who, who are hungry and they want to do it too. Uh, let's talk well, about yeah, cover. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I don't say the, the other thing about the transfer portal uh I mean, you can also get young guys from the board. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's just fifth-year seniors in the portal. I mean, you've got 1,800 names in there. Some of them are freshmen. Some of them are sophomores. I mean, you can bring in a guy who's going to play two or three years uh, out of the portal. Uh, now, he's generally – now. I mean, I mean, actually, you know, he did that with Gabe. Uh, you know, Gabe's been here three years. Um, but the other transfers he's kind of traditionally brought in West Virginia have been those – graduate transfer guys uh and and you know there's been a mixed bag of success but you can go into the portal and get younger guys uh uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be you know 18 year old high school kids you're bringing in you can you know you can bring in a 19 or 20 year old who's still got you know 
two or three years left of eligibility out of the portal. So, you know, there are a number of options uh, within the portal. I think that's what he'll try to do. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't, he hasn't given a clear explanation on this yet. He might not even know the answers, but I just don't think he wants one year guys. Like it takes too long. Think about the junior college thing. The second year, sometimes third year is much better for that guy because that first year is just such a, um, I don't know what the word would be like. You're playing, you're not even playing catch up. Like you're so far behind that you right. never even get caught up. Like your second year, maybe catch up or getting caught up. But like that first year is so difficult. And and we've seen this year, Malik Curry has finished pretty well, but it took him, I don't know, three quarters of the season to get to this point. Polycap better at the end on the start. Kerrigan sure. probably, probably in between where he is and where he wants to be. But like if you had Polycap and Curry next year, you feel really good about things. So I think you're right. Like you can get portal guys who have multiple years. Trouble is if they don't get someone who's experienced at the power five level, because he's also kind of picky about the group of five versus power five experience. Sure. If he doesn't get someone at the power five level, they're going to be young and unproven again next year. Like you're talking about guys like Bridges and Cottrell <laughs> who are like your most seasoned players. And then they don't, they don't kind of have that, that seasoning that they lack this year and that they're going to have to find next year. Like, even though they have so many seniors this year, they just don't have a lot of people who've been through it and who have done it before at this level. Right. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Do you want to win or try to win right away next year, or do you want to develop those young guys? And if you want to develop those young guys, you could have another difficult season ahead of you because, you know, like you said, Jalen Bridges really would be your only veteran guy next year in that kind of scenario. Now, you know, Jalen could end up having a, a fantastic season next year. You know, I mean, we, we don't know. Isaiah Cottrell could end up having a fantastic season next year. Uh, and some of these younger guys could develop and, and get better. Uh, we just don't know if that'll be the case. And so, you know, it's really kind of a tricky. So this might be one of the more uh, critical off seasons that uh, Coach Huggins has faced because um, there's a lot of questions that he has to answer on what direction he has to take the program in. Old dog, new tricks, I guess, you know. Yeah. Kind of, uh, <laughs> not to be confused with the old dogs in the background there at your house. Right. There are four of them, and they're, they're, they're a wild bunch. I guess. What was it like covering this team this year? Because I know I did a podcast with a friend of ours, Josh Witt, early in the season, where I thought this could have been a – I think they were fifth or they were tied for fifth in the preseason poll, and I was like, that's probably about right. Um, you know, a lot of things have to go right for the teams above them to keep West Virginia down. A lot of things that have to go bad for West Virginia to, to be down. And that's exactly what happened. Like a lot of things went right for the teams above them. Baylor reloaded Texas tech hit on the transfer and the head coach Texas um, contrary to popular belief did really well in the transfer portal in their chemistry right. experiment. A lot of these things that, that could maybe have gone different didn't. And then for West Virginia, you know, you didn't get a great season out of Jalen Bridges. You didn't get a great season out of Sean McNeil where they were lacking. They never really filled in. Um, this, this, frankly, I'm just not used to seeing Huggins struggle or his team struggle like this, lose seven in a row twice in a 15 game span is, is kind of something you would not predict in October or November. And to see them play as badly on defense and, and when rebounding to fritter away so many leads to fall behind so often by double digits, I just, the quantity of those things I never predicted and they all happened. Um, surprising to you at all. Could you have sensed this coming? And when did you realize that, uh Oh, this team doesn't have it. Well, you know, I kind of go back to the second half of last season. And even though uh, last season they got to the NCAA tournament and got to the second round uh, and, you know, they were a top 25 team last year. uh, If you look at the second half of the season uh, post uh, Sheway, 
transferring to Kentucky. Obviously, their offense got a lot better, but their defense got a ton worse in the sense that they really couldn't stop drives to the basket. Uh, they couldn't stop uh, penetration. They didn't guard the three very well. And, uh, you know, yeah, you had Derek inside. It was a big guy who could kind of fix a little bit and change some shots, but he wasn't a big-time shot blocker. And, and their defense was just really, really not bad in the second half of last season. Transform that into this season and, you know, well, you know, you lost Deuce, you lost Derek, you, you brought in a couple of, uh, you know, you know, three fifth-year seniors and maybe they can kind of fix things. And, and obviously it, it didn't work, but, you know, you look at guys like uh, Taz, uh, Sean McNeil, Jalen Bridges, uh, those guys have struggled on defense uh, before. I mean, you look at West Virginia's defensive numbers this year and it's not, just a one-time thing. I mean, this, this struggle was there last year as well. And they never fixed, you know, the, the only thing they really kind of fixed in the portal was getting some guys who could block some shots. So they kind of, you know, they blocked more shots than they did last year, but they never got anything better as far as guarding, you know, penetration into the lane, uh, guarding the three point shot, uh, you know, uh, just as far as, you know, perimeter defense, they never got anything to help them out uh, in that area. And so what the struggles they had last year carried into this year. And now because you don't have that Derek Culver inside, uh, it's the numbers have, have, have gotten worse. And so, I mean, yeah, their defense this year uh, doesn't really surprise me because I saw it all of most of last year and, I just don't know. I mean, as great of an offensive guy that Taz Sherman is and, and Sean McNeil can be, I've never really thought of them as lockdown defenders. And, and Jalen can obviously be a really good offensive guy when he's hitting shots and stretching the floor, but I've never really seen him as a great defensive guy. So, you know, that, that's kind of the, the, the core of why the, the defense is uh, kind of where it is. And then as far as like, as as the season, I don't know. I, I really kind of go back to, you know, when they went to Kansas, I think in December and got blown, really got blown out. And then, uh, oh, I'm trying to think uh, the, the Oklahoma games, you know, I just didn't really think Oklahoma was that great of a team, you know, as far as personnel wise and Oklahoma kind of did what they wanted to offensively against West Virginia. And, and uh, you know, uh, th there were certain instances earlier on in the year and the conference year, uh, you know, mid-December, early January, where I really kind of thought, you yeah, man, we might be in for uh, – West Virginia might be in for a tough run here. And it's been – it's really been a struggle, uh, obviously, because of their, their defense. They just never fixed anything uh, defensively as far as uh, guarding the perimeter. Yeah, and, and so bad off the ball, too, with cuts and, and people who don't have it who get open, too. And I think a lot of times that, that spilled to Kerrigan and Polycap, who did block shots, but – they were so busy. They were playing ping pong. Like they were running to one side and the other and trying to block a shot and then left open rebounds and second chance points or, or just being out of position and letting someone get a layup or something like that. Like they were good shot blockers. I'm not sure their defense inside was better. Certainly you're right out in the wings in the perimeter, not. And we talked about this. Kerrigan and Polycap are better shot blockers than Culver. Culver was always in the middle though. He was going to be right. like a, six, a 260 pound roadblock there and he might not block it, but you're going to bump into him or deal with him. And they do kind of miss that. And I think that's something the poor you look at. Who's a guy who is going to have 
a presence down low. Um, is it Oconquo? I don't know. Um, it certainly wasn't Kerrigan or Policab. So that's kind of a thing they need to fill, and a, a big guy would do it. And I'm not sure either one of the junior college guys are bringing in is going to be that. That, but right. like some of the people who may be transferring or who are in the portal sometime soon, I think you'd probably filter by weight, <laughs> not necessarily by height. Right. You, know, you might have a six eight guy who's two seventy. You may have a six eleven guy who's two twenty. And who would you rather have? Your Huggins right now, probably the big guy who's not going to go anywhere. And you know he's going to be there in the middle every time. Well, here's kind of my question: how how interested are are, are you in? Uh, Isaiah Cottrell and in terms of what he could be down the road, what kind of picture do you see of him? Fascinated by him. His skill set is there. He just has to be cast properly, right? You don't, he's kind of like the, the, he's kind of like Jim Carrey. Let's say you don't want him doing like rom-coms or serious dramatic roles. He's, he's comedy, right? He's Ace Ventura. He's not, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) just, he's got a certain thing that you want him to do. And asking him to post up and to to play like four round one on offense, I'm not sure is what he wants to do. And I just think about the Texas game at the Coliseum early on, active, high ball screens. He was setting screens and rolling to the basket, hit a jumper, got two free throws. I think he made a layup and it kind of disappeared. But I remember just like that opened my eyes. And I was like, that's probably what he should be doing. You know, he's like a three man game kind of a guy. Like he can he can screen and he's either going to fade or cut. And if he if he draws attention in the middle, then it helps somebody on the perimeter. If you want him involved in a whole bunch of like five man offense, I don't know. Trouble is, I don't know what he does on defense. Because well, that's kind of yeah, that's the question, right? Yeah, like where where do you? I don't want to say hide him, but like where do you hide him? Because he's been, it's not only that he's been out muscle, he's been just kind of out savvied a lot in the post this year, which is going to happen. I understand. Um, I don't I don't know how much that the the injury still affects him physically, mentally, whatever. I think there's still probably some some collateral damage there too, but I think I would also say this: I did not expect to get anything from him on a stat sheet before like Big Twelve play, <clears throat> and the fact that he played as often as he did, as early as he did, the fact that he was ready early, that's a surprise to me. So yeah. I still think that he's very much young, and I just don't know that they they know what they have with him yet, and that he's just not in the right spot. I think for a player of his his skill set, there's really not anybody like him in the Big Twelve in that he's like a three playing the five. Like there's tall guys who play the three and there's right. tall guys who play the five, but like not a lot of five shoot threes. And I think you made this like connection, like Tanner Groves, you know, kind of a skill sure. toolsy big who can go out and do stuff. I think that's fair, but you know, he's not, he's not Chet Holmgren either. So no, no, I, I don't know no, what no. his deal is, but there, there is something there for sure. I, I, I love watching him. He he makes defenses react. He doesn't make the shots, but he makes defenses react, and that's certainly an asset you can use. You know what's interesting? You know, the, you mentioned Tanner Groves, and I mean, I, obviously, I think Isaiah is more athletic, and I've, I think he's probably maybe a little bit, maybe taller, maybe or, uh, or he's got maybe kind of a different body than than, than Groves, but uh, sort of a similar skill set there, maybe with a little bit more athleticism. Listening to you describe Isaiah's offensive game kind of sounds like, you know, what Pitsnoggle was at West Virginia. Although I I, I, wow, don't, yeah. I don't know if I would put him in Pitsnoggle's class as far as shooting the ball, but a uh, similar style of game. I, I, don't, I think as he gets older, he'll gain some confidence, um, you know, obviously get stronger, uh, you know, as he gets, uh, you know, more experience and, more off seasons in the weight room and that kind of stuff. I think he kind of will eventually develop some low post presence. Uh, 
maybe more so on defense than on offense. I think he can be a, a defender in the paint uh, as far as maybe blocking shots or just, you know, kind of forcing your will in there, but you're right though. I mean, he is a guy who's going to step out and shoot threes and come off screens and he can do some different things. He's not exactly a guy. You just tell him to go play under the basket. And, and then that's all he does. He's, he's more than that, but I'm, out of all the guys on the roster, maybe him and James Onkonkwo uh, are the two guys that I would really kind of wish I could hit the fast forward button like two years from now and just kind of see what their game's like. Uh, they would be the two guys on the roster that uh, I would really like to see, you know, what they develop into. We'll get to Okonkwo, I promise. Um, let's transition here for a second. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not alleging anything, certainly, but if you are, if you're a college coach or you're working in a college basketball program these days let's be honest part of your job is figuring out which players may transfer or who could be talked out of a situation to another one and i would say if you look at west virginia's roster Cottrell is by far the most appealing part that would be eligible for a transfer and i'm not saying he's leaving but i'm absolutely saying that if you're looking at west virginia and someone who you may be able to pry away it's him because there's something there and you could say hey come to our place we're going to pick and roll and you're going to shoot four threes a game five threes a game and you're going to get isolated a bunch and and we'll see what happens. Like there is something there too, which leads me to our next conversation, which is Shibway. Um, Here we go. Because here we go. Here I am. I'm tying, these, <laughs> I'm tying these two together. And it's really not fair to a lot of people that we're going to talk about here because it's me and it's you. And it's people who talk about these things that didn't live them. But I, I do think that this is going to be part of maybe not just the legacy of this season, but also perhaps the, the late on tenure for Bob Huggins here is that likely the national player of the year, if not a top three guy, top three guy. Absolutely. Not sure if or where he gets drafted this year, next year, but like he's had one of the best seasons in the country this year. There's no arguing that. And it's not happening here. And it's not happening here at a team that could have certainly used it. Um, But also there's, there's so many things that you and I think about, but don't really know about and haven't been able to report that this by and large seems like there was only so much that West Virginia could, and more importantly would do to make it work. Um, but man, he got his act together. He got in shape. He played committed and perhaps he's in a better situation, but he looks exactly like the player that West Virginia thought it was going to have a couple of years ago. It just happens to be in another conference um, for a, <laughs> a coach that probably took advantage of a situation that could be taken advantage of. Sure. Sure. The, the whole Oscar situation, I, I, I guess where I would start out at and um you look at his number, what he's averaging, like what, uh, 15 and 13 or something like that. Uh, and obviously very good. Like you said, he's going to be probably player of the year. If not, he's going to be one of the top two or three vote getters. Um, if the situation had, I, I guess where I would start off the conversation, just to WVU fans uh, who, who are on one side of the Oscar fence or, or the other, if Oscar had stayed, and played last year and then you know if Culver had left like he did and Oscar was uh, basically in the paint by himself this year he would be doing the exact same things here at West Virginia numbers wise and performance wise that he's doing at Kentucky it's not like he went to Kentucky and all of a sudden got you know got with another coach and got with a you know, a, a better system and they know how to handle him and all. 
it, it's none of that. It's just he got put in a better situation. I guess. I guess if you, if you want to put it in those terms, he's in a better situation at Kentucky because he's in the paint by himself. You know, he's basically going one on one, or maybe you know sometimes one on one with a you know help defender, as opposed to going one on three or four. You know, you know when when Culver was in there, so he got put in a better situation at Kentucky. But he, it's not like. You know, it's not like Coach Calipari had some kind of magic potion and, and, and turned him into this great player all of a sudden. Uh, his style of play at Kentucky is exactly the same as it was at West Virginia. He's still uh, a monster on the boards. You know, he's not shooting threes. He's not shooting 15-foot jumpers. And So, you know, his style of play at Kentucky is exactly the style of play it was at West Virginia. It's just that uh, Kentucky also – they don't have a Derek Culver clogging up the paint like uh, like uh, West Virginia did, and and Oscar and Derek playing together just it just didn't work out like you would have hoped to, and it was kind of a train wreck in the paint because you know it was those two big guys in that small area, and then you'd have to guard them with three guys, and so there just wasn't as much room to work. Well, he's he now has that room to work in Kentucky, and and so you're seeing the results, but. I guess that would be kind of where I would start off this conversation is it's not like he left West Virginia, went to Kentucky, and all of a sudden they turned him into a great player. He could have been that kind of player here in West Virginia had it been, you know, under some different circumstances. I will say he looks much more skilled now than he did the first two years. Part of that may be just committing himself to it for a year and a half at Kentucky. Like he got in their strength and conditioning program and he practiced with them for half a year. Sure. He, had, he had a full faith summer, but he looks, he just looks like a different, more coordinated, more skilled player. Um, but I'm just looking at like some of his, his like production numbers this year, for example. Um, last year he rebounded, let's see, 20, uh, 23% of defensive rebounds, right? 35% this year. Mm. That's, that's want. That's want. Um, blocking 4.9% of the shots versus 2.2 last year. Um, he's getting 11 shots a game. He was getting seven. Just things like that that I think that he he's more engaged, but he's also more engaging. Um, and that, that's capitalizing on a talent. Like, that's a team that said, hey, we got a guy here. Let's do something with him. I get it. It's I, I, This is not a perfect analogy, but, like, imagine having a quarterback at Navy who is okay in the option, doesn't really pass it a whole lot because it's Navy. And then he goes to, like, uh, let's stick with ends, uh, North Carolina, it doesn't run a lot, but man, he passes the ball better than he ever did in Navy, right? And you're like, well, of course, he's in a better system for that. He's going to pass it right. more because that's what he does, right? I think some of that does exist, but I just think that he's he's got a better mood about him and he's got better surroundings and he's happy or whatever. We can we can read the stories or the headlines or watch the interviews about how he wasn't happier and how he was miserable here. Right. Maybe that's true because this looks like a guy who's engaged, is smiling, and you and I knew him. Like, he was always a happy guy and was always in a good mood. How much we saw of him was very small compared to like the full sample, but he always seemed like he was in a good place. His teammates really liked him. And even when he left, all of his teammates were like, Hey man, you got to be happy, do the right thing. Um, you know, better with you, maybe better off without you. We'll see. But maybe that stuff's all true in that he's just in a better basketball situation for him. But then that kind of spins back to why it wasn't happening here. And it, you might be right. It might be as simple as like trying to play those two guys. And I, I just can't get over how their offense shifted last year without him. And they succeeded with their perimeter stuff, but all the guards and all the, all the wing players are saying there's just far less traffic in the paint. Um, there's one less big guy. We can get extra shots. We can make these threes because this guy can't guard us in the perimeter. 
and it worked it worked for everybody in the sense that West Virginia had kind of an offensive reboot last year that fell short this year and that Shibway got into a better spot and it worked but um I just wonder what happened in between his freshman and sophomore years um because it was pretty clear that he wasn't motivated in the offseason and I say that because like right I say that because the play-by-plays and the commentators kept saying that when they were talking about this. Uh, right. Here's a guy who, like, oh, he wasn't in love with the off-season conditioning. Like, where the heck did the color commentator get that from, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably came from the interviews with the staff, right? So I-, I wonder how much of that was true. And, like, he was just waiting to get out of there. Maybe he couldn't leave after his freshman year, but maybe he saw an opening and a way to get out. And, like, maybe the, maybe the wheel started turning and-, and he was just able to get plucked from the vine at that time. And you know what, I'm going to play 10 games. The semester's going to break and I'm going to go and make a clean transition. And he did. And I, I just wonder if I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I just think that sometimes the surface explanation of wasn't happy here, didn't feel like he wanted to be here, thought a lot about Kentucky. And he kind of fell out of favor and fell out of love with his surroundings here and then found something he's happy about again. So again, that may be simple, optimistic stuff, but like that could very well be the explanation too. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law I think that's a very good explanation. I think there's a lot of factors into that. Uh, I think a lot of the reasons why, um, you know, he wasn't enjoying things at West Virginia for two, two things. Uh, he, he really, you know, like you said, and, and people were talking about, he really struggled in the off season between his freshman and sophomore seasons. He came, he came into camp out of shape. He started the season out of shape. And, you know, if you really watch, like if you go back to last year's, uh, Gonzaga game, uh, you could really see a lot of plays in that game where he was getting beat running down the floor. Now, uh, this was a guy the year before was, you know, the, the fastest guy on the team. And and there were stories about how he was running down arrows and, and uh, when he was a little boy growing up in Africa and that kind of stuff. Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden he can't run. And, you know, and, and so a lot of that probably because – you know, a couple of things that I've heard over the years is that, you know, he just he didn't work very hard. He was kind of believing or looking a lot at the press clippings and and things like that. And, and I, I think some of that, too, is that, you know, he's he had always been a bigger, stronger kid who dominated, you know, all through high school. And, you know, and he actually played very well as a freshman. And and so he he probably had never really been in a situation where he had to work extremely hard to compete. So he kind of gets out of shape going into that sophomore year. And then, well, it's really a struggle. He got in foul trouble a lot. Uh, You know, he was getting beat running down the floor quite a bit. And all of a sudden, uh, this happy-go-lucky kid, and he really did have a unique personality. I mean, it's really hard to say anything bad about Oscar because he had a personality that was, uh, you know, it it was like a 100 steps above happy-go-lucky, you know, whatever that is. I mean, he was... Uh, just a, a great smiling happy kid and and all of a sudden you hear these stories about you know he's just miserable and you get it's really kind of hard to picture Oscar being miserable now probably a lot of that's probably 
stuff, you know, guys getting in his ear, telling him this and that, and, hey, this isn't working out, or, hey, Coach Huggins is going to say this about you or he's going to do this to you. And, you know, that probably kind of wears on you a little bit uh, when you keep hearing stuff from other people. But, uh, you know, yeah, you know, it obviously uh, wasn't really working out to the point where, you know, everyone had these expectations of what he was going to do. And he wasn't meeting those. Uh, certainly during that sophomore year, he wasn't meeting those. And, you know, him and Derek played like, you know, what, 40 games together. There's very few instances where they both had a good game at the same time. And by good game, you know, 12 points or, or more. I mean, that just hardly ever happened. And so, you know, he's got a family to probably to think about, uh, you know, he's trying to think, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to get to the NBA if I stay here. And, you know, the situation comes up with Kentucky and, you know, it looks like a better situation. And, and I mean, quite frankly, it has been a better situation. Uh, he's doing very well and, and he's, you know, kind of pushing his name back up the mock drafts and that kind of stuff. And, you know, watching him play now, you know, you're right. Like you said earlier, he's more engaged. He's more uh, into the game. Probably a lot of that's because he's in better shape now and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's a different Oscar Shibway. Um, and, and, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm glad that he's found a, a place where he can, can be happy and, and thrive. Let's talk Big 12 tournament briefly, and then we'll get into some other Big 12 at large thoughts. Um, Bruce Weber coaching for his job gone. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I thought he was going to be gone last year. Uh, I mean, because he's kind of, I mean, he had the really good team, uh, when he had those like five seniors, uh, I think that was like two or three years ago and he won a, a share of the big 12 title and they made it to the lead eight, lead, lead eight. Yeah. And, and it's really been downhill after that. And, well, you know, you lose five seniors like that. It's, it's going to be a tough rebuild. Well, it's been like three years now in the rebuilding process. So I, I don't know if you can just continue to put faith in him and say, okay, well, next year will be the year. I, I really like Bruce. He's great to talk to. Like when you go to Big 12 Media Day, I mean, he really is a great engaging coach with a lot of great opinions and, and, and opinions on different topics. But I, I would find it very hard to believe that uh, K-State uh, can continue to uh, uh, throw their faith in him. Yeah, that'll be an interesting job to, to fill, too. They've had some interesting coaching names like Lon Kruger, Bob Huggins, Frank Martin, Bruce Weber. Those are some good coaches. Those are like Final Four coaches. I don't know what the market is for Kansas State right now, too, but um, I'm sure they'll get somebody good, but I'm just curious like what they'll spend. Because if I, if I read this correctly, like his buyout goes out to half a million bucks on May 1st. Do they wait that long? Because by May 1st, a lot of good candidates could be gone. And if you just look at the offseason here, look at all the coaches that they brought in. Um, like there's a pressure to nail a hire, like nail a hire, because it looks, right, like, right. Iowa, looks like Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Texas all nailed the hire. Um, so they're going to have to do something good. We'll, and we'll get to the coaching in the future here in a second. But this matchup, um, I don't know if Marquise Noel will play. He's missed two games in the hamstring. He had a double-double, 10-10 and 10 the first time they played, 21-3-3 uh, and 3 with no turnovers the second time they played. He's been an issue. He's a really good defensive player, which kind of messes up West Virginia's perimeter plans on offense. But they're still going to have Nigel Pack. They're still going to have Mark Smith. They're still going to have Mike McGurl, players who in different times have been successful against West Virginia. I don't know what to make of this matchup, apart from the fact that Kansas State has a worse record than West Virginia, has lost five in a row, probably has maybe seen the writing on the wall for their coach, may not have a good player. Um, 
but they also were leading by 17 at one point in the Coliseum, uh, handled West Virginia the second time they played. Um, it, it's a tough one for me to read, except I just wonder who has more momentum right now. And it's probably West Virginia, believe it or not, even though they're two and 14 in their last 16 games. Right. And it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, and the amazing thing about that K State game at the Coliseum, I mean, remember that was the game where they didn't even have a coach. Yeah. They didn't have an, I mean, they barely had an assistant coach. And then the, the assistant to the, uh, to the guy who, who was the head coach was like a grad assistant, right? I mean, they, he was they, a student they, manager. Yeah. Student manager. There you go. I mean, he, he went from, uh, you know, white wiping uh, the floors clean to uh, drawing up plays in the huddle. So, um, yeah, I, you know, yeah, it is kind of funny. West Virginia probably does have a little bit more momentum uh, going into this game. I really still kind of see, you know, just because we were talking about earlier, just because West Virginia really struggles with its perimeter defense. Well, K-State's lineup really is all guards. I mean, yeah. you know, they put Bradford in sometimes and, the, you know, the Masood's got a little bit of the size to him, but, uh, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're mostly kind of a, of a, you know, really a five guard uh, kind of lineup or at least a four guard. And, and, uh, you know, you mentioned that Noel might not play. So, you know, maybe that changes their lineup a little bit, but uh, their guards, I think I, I really like Mark, uh, Mark Smith. And oh. I really, uh, yeah. I mean, I really like uh, Nigel Pack too. And I really thought the girl would have a better year than he's actually had because I mean, he had a monster game at K state against West Virginia, like, uh, like two or three years ago. And I really thought he was going to be kind of a, a, a foundation for them moving forward. But uh, I mean, those three guys, and then, you know, if Noel plays, that's four, that's four guys who can handle the ball and, you know, kind of know what Bruce Weber wants and, and, and can kind of penetrate and, and get to the rim, shoot some threes. Um, I, I think it's kind of a tough defensive matchup for West Virginia, just because they don't have those guys especially if Kedrian Johnson is uh, continuing to, you know, struggle with his uh, hip injuries and ankle injuries. And um, if he's not being, you know, if, if he's not able to kind of go out there and, and do what he normally does, West Virginia is really going to struggle in this matchup. And I could kind of see this game really kind of going down to the wire just because it's on a neutral court uh, setting. Uh, this is not, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout either way, but I kind of see it, maybe it's a situation where maybe both teams just kind of struggle and someone scores at the end to win. Ooh, well, buzzer beater. How about that? How do you like that? Uh, uh, call it. Buzzer call shot there. Yeah. Yeah. Masood is interesting because Bradford has a hard time staying on the floor against West Virginia. Um, that's a big dude. He's like seven foot two sixty five, and he can't play against West Virginia. Um, right. First game was tough because I think he'd just come back from COVID. I think he was like the day before he got cleared, if I remember correctly. I don't have that in front of me. And the second game, he just couldn't – he wouldn't go out in the perimeter and he wasn't rebounding and there were smaller, quicker guys. So if you can get him out of the game, that's great. Masood's their backup, who's not a good three-point shooter, except when he plays West Virginia, <laughs> which tends to happen. And, like, that's why McGurl would scare me too because he can definitely hit, like, six threes if you're not careful. Um, and then, as as always at West Virginia, can they guard? Like, they've been able to score themselves out of some trouble when they've had some bad defensive things lately. But Kansas State always has a way of, like, pack lining and playing good defense. And if they are if they got four guards buzzing around out there, that's, that's a good point. Like, that could be a tough matchup. And I, Smith is great. That's like one of my favorite transfers in the Big Twelve this year. There's a lot, but like that guy, he's like super competitive. Rebounds like a six four point guard, power forward. Like it's an odd combination of skills and abilities. And he's a, he's a tough matchup for them too. And like I would imagine that 
I don't know, either Sherman or McNeil is going to have to guard him. And at some point in the past few games, he's realized that he can get by those guys. And he's, he's strong, right? Yeah. yeah. And then Salt Miguel is another guy who's a big, strong guy who can get around guys and get to the free throw line. And, you know, they've, they, I think they were one of the first teams that, after the game, Huggins said, if you notice, they went at the same guy again and again and again. We've never been able to identify who that guy is because there are some candidates for <laughs> There's a number of candidates. <laughs> Which right. isn't a good thing, right? But like that was one of the teams that said, okay, let's do it. And when you have those guards, you can absolutely do that there too. Um, key players for West Virginia. Um, I would I would imagine if Cottrell can keep Bradford off the floor, that helps him rebounding. But maybe you don't have him. Maybe you go with like a, an Osaboyan playing the five in a small lineup. This like you mentioned, is a unique matchup. Anybody, anything you think has to click for WVU that might be out of the ordinary? Well, you know what was interesting in that TCU game at the end of the regular season was uh, Cottrell set his career high with seven rebounds, and he did it all in the first half. Then TCU goes, I guess they go with a smaller lineup Mm -hmm. in the second half, and Coach Huggins is forced to take him out, and he basically didn't play in the second half after just setting a career high in rebounds in the first half. Uh, I don't know if K-State can – I mean, I don't, I don't even know what their big lineup would be. I mean, even if you played Bradford, you're still going to play four guards. So, yeah, that's still pretty much a small lineup. Uh, mm. So I'm not even sure what the big lineup would be at, at K-State. So they're going to play small. So I don't know how much Cottrell could – could play. I mean, he'll probably start to, just to see maybe if we can uh, maybe use his uh, size and try to use that as an advantage early on. But as the game wears on and if those guards start uh, getting hard, like uh, start getting hot and, you know, uh, not, you know, Nigel Pack starts hitting a bunch of threes and Smith and McGrill start hitting outside shots, you're probably going to have to take control out and, and lean more on Gabe, I would assume, just because he can kind of defend out there more on the perimeter and still you know, rebound on defense. Uh, so, uh, so, 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 yeah, matchup wise, I, I, I think Cottrell would be one guy that you'd have to kind of look to see, you know, maybe he doesn't play quite as much. Maybe Gabe plays more. Uh, you have to look to see how much uh, Kedrian Johnson uh, can give you. Uh, if he's not able to, to go a whole lot, then obviously you're going to see Malik out there. And, uh, you know, if you only have the one, true point guard out there, then you've got to play Taz and Sean Moore on the perimeter. And that's going to be a struggle defensively because you're just running out of guards. I mean, you can put Kobe and Seth out there as well, but the, you know, they just don't have the experience and I don't know if they would be any better on defense at this point. So yeah, there's some matchup problems and, and, and some questions are going to have to be uh, answered uh, probably early on just to kind of see how it's going. And um you know, and then you just kind of go from there, really. I mean, it would be a lot of end game uh, questions and answers being uh, being being drawn up. Interesting dynamic here is that they're going out to Kansas City absolutely thinking they're playing four games in four days. They may not, but they think that they're going to play four games in four days, which means they got to take some of those guys off their feet. Sherman, McNeil, like they're going to have to play Wilson. They're going to have to play Kobe Johnson. They might even have to play Jamel King because I don't know what you're getting out of Bridges lately, but. Saturday was promising for him, and, and Huggins said some nice things about him too after the game, which he had he had not been talking up for his play lately. But I don't know how you don't play Wilson and, and Kobe early in that game, or at least more than normal, because one, you like to think you should be able to, and not have a huge minus, but also like you're going to need legs for four days if you're going to do this thing. So you, you'd hate sure. to win that one 
get by Kansas and go into the semifinal and be out of gas because he spent everything the first two. So that'll be interesting. Um, however, but I mean, is it that situation though? I mean, it's hard. So say they beat K State on Wednesday. I mean, you got to throw the book at Kansas, right? I mean, yeah. you, I mean, you can't worry about. I mean, you can't worry about playing time and fresh legs. Uh, I mean, because if you if you really want to try to compete against Kansas, uh, you know, trying to get guys into a rotation kind of goes out the door. You got to throw everything you can at them, right? Yeah, but they're still playing about twelve guys, though, right? I mean, on the occasional Seth Wilson appearance, they're playing twelve, right? So not playing. Well, I guess that's what. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying is if they do get up against Kansas, I think you kind of throw that 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 strategy out the door, and all of a sudden you go from playing twelve to playing, you know, eight. Right? I mean, you kind of have to against Kansas. You bring your closer in with two on in the sixth inning, right? Yeah, just try to try to get out of there. <laughs> get, give me the Duke. Finally, uh, well, yeah, one player we're not going to see James Oconquo, right? Can't play, right? Probably. I would like, I would love to if he played more, but I don't think we're going to, maybe we might not see him uh, anymore the rest of the year. Let's do mandatory Oconquo content. Uh, we have been puzzled as everybody else is, including Huggins, I guess, because uh, he, he can't take a traditional red shirt. I believe they're going to try to get him a medical because he got hurt before the second half of game started. And, and yeah, he did try to play in the second half of the season, but if he had a setback and they can prove it, then the initial injury may be enough to get him a red shirt. I have to think that's the direction they're going, but Jamel King cannot redshirt. Kobe Johnson cannot redshirt. Seth Wilson cannot redshirt in any sense. Um, Correct. Going to be only Oconquo if they can prove, and they've documented, and I would imagine that the initial foot injury, which Huggins said was kind of an abnormal freak occurrence, if that kept him from being a full participant this year, perhaps he gets a medical. But um, I don't really have much more to say on that. Do you? Hey. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he has played, uh, like, what, two or three games in the second half of the season, um, I think it would be hard for West Virginia to prove that he was at a disability, the fact that he played so late in the second half of the season. Um, But, yeah, I think you're right, though. I think they will try to uh, put in for a medical uh, redshirt. I mean, technically, that's what they did with uh, Isaiah Cottrell last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, was when you know when he uh, had the torn Achilles and, and only played like the first whatever it was nine or ten games, and he he received a medical red shirt uh, uh, last season heading into this year. I would think that they would try to do the same with James. Uh, whether or not they get it, I you know I I don't know. I, I if I were to put odds on it, I would say fifty fifty maybe uh, as whether or not they uh, get that approved or not. But yeah, that would certainly be the. Uh, the route that they're going to go. Finally, the Big 12. Part of the the big bummer about this being kind of a, a wash of a season for West Virginia is that the conference was really, really good. And it reminded me of some Big East stuff where it wasn't high-scoring offenses. It was very good defensive teams and coaches. And that may have to do with just coaches being able to get through with defense first. And I think transfers have delivered so many older rosters that they know how to guard at this level. And maybe that's why defense is so good. But it did remind me of a bit of a throwback Big East year where oh yeah you had low post play you had low scoring games everybody was really good there was no bottom when you know even when there was a bottom in the big in the Big East there were what sixteen teams well teams nine ten eleven twelve are usually pretty good pretty competitive and, and I don't know West Virginia was the worst team this year and somebody had to be but that was kind of a bummer because it would have been fun to cover a team that was at the top or to be in Kansas City for a contender this week and that would have been really neat um, but there is a lot to like about the Big Twelve here 
your observations of the league. I don't know. Just, just rattle off a few. We can go back and forth. Oh, like, what do you think? Cause, cause I'll get it started. I'll get it started. I'll get it started. Overrated. Oh. Whoa. How's that? Wow. No, I, maybe overrated is a strong word. I, here, here's my question. What was the big East really that good or was it just really filled with good parody? You know I'll tell you what, what it had it had blue blood programs teams that had won national championships or were on their way to winning national championships it had like it had the tuxedo coaches because you always saw them in award banquets or at the draft or something like that like they had the star coaches and then it, it was Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament that added a ton of cachet to the Big East I think every year is that you were going to sure. have you were going to have like Georgetown against Villanova in a semifinal. You were going to have, you know, UConn against Syracuse in a semifinal. You, you don't really have that in a league. Six like, overtimes. Yeah. Remember that? We <laughs> left. We left that game. <laughs> We'd worked too hard that day. We didn't want to watch this game. Uh, so I think, I think there was some romanticizing about it, which I think it's sure. hard to do. I think it's hard to do for the big 12. And yet still people talk about it's, it's pretty clear the best conference in the country or, or is at least in the conversation. Which means that what what it lacks for like mystique, it probably does make up in other in other avenues. I think the Big Twelve is in the conversation for best conference because of the mathematics. Is kind of my opinion. Uh, you know the the net rankings and that sort of thing, and the fact that you know West Virginia is the last place team, and they're still in the top one hundred of the net. I mean, they're probably still in the top eighty. I haven't looked at the net rankings, and there's not any other power conference out there that that can say that. Now, when you when you look at just that metric, it's kind of easy to say that, yeah, you know, probably maybe, you know, maybe the Big 12 from top to bottom is the best conference. It's hard to argue that. But there's other factors involved. The best player in the league, uh, Oche Abaji uh, from Kansas, good kid, you know, senior, developed his, you know, worked his way up the totem pole, became the star player as a senior. I know he's projected as a first round pick, but do you really see that kid being a future NBA all-star? You know, that's a guy that, that Silva's talked about for everyone. I just didn't see it. And he said, this is, this guy's an NBA player. He's going to grow into his body. He's really athletic. He could lead the league in scoring. And that's all happened. Like he's an impressive looking guy and he's very athletic and he led the league in scoring. <laughs> right. No, so, he did. Now is he, a, is he like a starter in the NBA? I don't know. But is he a guy that like is a is a rotation guy, and all of a sudden you know you look at the bottom line one day, and and for he's he gets eighteen points for the Kings, and he made four threes. I think he's got a spot just because he's big and he's athletic, but not a guy that scares me. Here's some other things I look at. Um, no one beats Kansas at home, right? I mean they're unbeatable. Well, except that garbage Texas team that Chris Beard has put. In. <laughs> well, yeah, Kentucky went in there and whooped them. Mm-hmm. I mean. Flat out whooped them. Beat them and it looked bad. Them. It was very one-sided. Yeah. Uh, I, I look at, um, you know, I know people don't like to put a whole lot of stock in the challenge series, but the SEC whooped the Big 12 this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't even close. They uh, The Big 12 split with the Big East earlier in the year. I mean, do you think the coaches in the SEC and the Big East are going to agree that the Big 12 is the best conference in the no. country? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't see a serious Final Four contender out of the Big 12. I see Baylor and Kansas in the Sweet 16. I see them struggling to get out of the Sweet 16. 
can you say you're the best conference in the country when you, you know, when you have teams struggling just to get to the elite eight, I, I, you know, I think the sec has Kentucky and Auburn who could very well, very easily make the final four, you know, I mean, I can't say that about the big 12. So I have a hard time. I know the math, the metrics, the the rankings, the net rankings and the RPI and all this net. They tell you the big 12 is the best conference in the country. And when I look at those numbers, I, I can agree with that. I see another side to the big 12 that, that tells me the big 12 is really overrated as a conference that is just filled with really good pairing is kind of my explanation uh, to the Big 12 this season. Mm-hmm. I would add Tennessee to a, a sleeper SEC team, too. Oh, absolutely. That team's on a roll right now, too. Um, how about some players? Like, there's there's the all-conference team. I looked at it and I was like, eh, all right, cool. But let's say you're tuning into this. Top-shelf players, uh, rail players, so to speak, like there, well, there are, I mean, there is some talent, but so like we've talked about a couple, like Mark Smith is a guy that you may want to watch Wednesday night just because of what everything he does. And um, yeah, Nigel packs one too. We mentioned uh, 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 Abaji, but there, there are a number of other players too. Like um, uh, for, for TCU, Damian ball, that guy is very good and, and does a number oh, yeah. of good, does a number of really good things that would be welcome on every team. Um, uh, trying to go through other guys here. Um, the point guard, of Iowa state, uh, Ty Reese Hunter, like th- there is, there's a second level of talent that I think a lot of people don't recognize too. And then there's guys that we just like for different reasons. Who, who's gotten your attention, whether it's a coach, a player, um, well-known under the radar that, that you'd like this season from covering the league for as a player, the one guy who really grabbed my attention is, uh, Isaiah Brockington mm-hmm. out of Iowa state. I really, you know, he, he transfers from Penn state where he was a decent uh, player for a bad team uh, but you looked at his numbers and you're thinking okay well you know maybe he'll come and be a you know a, a good solid role player and he ends up being one of the best players in the league and obviously the second half he had against West Virginia uh, in the the game at Iowa State with like 25 points or something like that mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unbelievable uh, he has shot the ball really really well and has consistently shot the ball well where it hasn't just been like one game here or there. So that would be the one player that really caught my eye uh, this year. Um, Mark Adams. I really like what he did at Texas. I mean, the situation he got, well, not really thrown into because he was the assistant there under Chris Beard, but um, he kept that team together and not only kept it together, but, you know, brought in a couple of transfers and really gelled those guys into a team that was, kind of an afterthought going into the season and they could be a sweet 16 team, uh, you know, here in about another couple of weeks. And so I really like uh, the job Mark Adams has done. And I'm really surprised seeing what he's done this year, that he hasn't been a head coach uh, sooner in his career. Uh, he I was, think- he stunk. Oh, was I right? I thought this was his first, uh, well, his first go around at the uh, power five there, right? Well, power five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I'm really surprised he hasn't, uh, you know, but he's, yeah, he's done a great job at, at Texas Tech. And, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, what they're, they're 12 and six and, uh, you know, you know, they, they beat, uh, but they, they swept Baylor, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, kind of just tells me that the, the guy knows what he's doing. 
Yeah, very good junior college coach. And Huggins made a pretty good point that he's used to getting guys for one or two years and finding a way to make it work with them. And that's what happened this year, too. Um, he was the coach at Texas Pan American, which is a Division One school. He was 44 and 90 in five years. Um, a lot of success in junior colleges at Texas Tech for, um, I think, for like three years as an ops guy and then an assistant coach five years after that, I think. So he's, he's got some experience there, too. I, I love watching them play because two things. One, they're old and they know that they're almost they're at the point now where like whether it's almost our next loss is our last loss for a lot of these guys. Um, but they're tough, man. They they, they kind of remind me in some sense of like of like a West Virginia team that had like a bunch of seniors and were just like, no, it's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. They're going to fight and fight and fight. But also they play without a point guard, like <laughs> how they get by and how they run offense and how they succeed and score without a point guard is kind of fun for me to watch. Like they have guys who do stuff and they found ways around it. Like they have a shortcoming. They don't have a point guard that is a distributor that does things that a traditional point guard would do. And, and they still make it work too. Um, the new coaches in the league are probably going to be here to, to stay for a while. I think like there's a lot of young ones and guys who are just in their first year or so. That'll be good too. But um some of the I think it's probably promising for the conference that, you know, Baylor won a national championship instead of having like all the developmental guys that they used to come in and guys who transferred or who stayed in the program for three, four five years and became very good. They went out and got like NBA guys like Sohan and Kendall Brown are NBA guys. And all of a sudden that team is going to combine their development and their transferring practices with like let's yeah. say top 100, top 25 guys. Watch out. Are, there. They, like, are they NBA guys? I think Kendall Brown is. I think somebody will take him on potential for sure. And then um, they had a guy, I forget his name right now, I'm trying to find it. Like a, like one of their top recruits got hurt and isn't even playing this year. And Sohan's the the sixth man of the year, but he started a bunch when they had injury trouble. He played a ton. And I think that's a guy that has a lot of skill. I'm not sure he'll go this year, but I'm in another top, top recruit. And so like that's what a national championship, or at least the pursuit thereof, does for you. Like you get in the room with all these guys you didn't have before. And like, I wonder where they're going to be in a couple of years. It's been fun to watch them play this year, despite their injuries. Like they losing Flagler and losing, um, Cryer, and Cryer for Kinjo. times. And now Chamwa Chachwa losing Akinjo for a oh. while. And here they are at the end. Um, and a lot of it's because they had these guys like these stud recruits, they plugged in and said, Hey, you're, you're a top 100 guy. You're a four or five star guy. Why don't you prove it? And they did. And that's, that's kind of an interesting twist for me too. I really, I really do kind of like Brown and Sohan. I think, uh, unfortunately, this is kind of the downside of college basketball where you get two kids like that and they show potential and then move on. I think those would be like two kids. If they had stayed, like if they stay, which I don't think they will, but if they stayed one more year, you'd see them as like 16, 17 point scores next year. And then you'd be able to see, oh yeah, okay. Now it's more clear why those guys are, as you know, as highly projected as they are. I think Brown's going to be what, like a, maybe a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. I think projected. So, and uh, I think it's also projected in the first round. So they're probably both going to go. And so, you know, you kind of look at them this year, you look at their numbers and you're like, ah, you know, okay. It's okay, but it's not, you know, super great. I think their numbers would be super great if they came back next year, but I, I don't know if they will. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I do like those two players. Um, uh, Kenjo has been really, really great for Baylor, you know, transferring in from Auburn and, you know, he's probably one of the top five, six guys in, in the big 12. And, but yeah, no, um, uh, coach drew 
really kind of did things a little bit differently. I mean, he's got transfer guys. He's got guys he's developed. He's got uh, some uh, good recruiting class. I mean, heck, he brought in a kid from Fairmont State who's really helped him. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of gone, um, reached out to different ends of the recruiting universe to kind of put this team together. And you got to remember, this was a team that lost four starters from the year before when they won the national championship. And, yeah. and you, would, you would think a team like Baylor, which isn't exactly a blue blood, it would be harder for a team like that to replace uh, four starters, four really good starters, and and continue to be a top five uh, ranked team uh, the following year. Langston Love is the six five guard, uh, four star, top one hundred ACL out this year, but he projects as a first round pick in the NBA too. So he'll be back next year. Um, so not a recruit necessarily, but they have a class coming in, and he'll be part of it too. Um, can we talk about Bijan Cortez? Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about him, but I want to know, uh, how, how often do you practice saying Chamwa Chachua? Oh, man, I, I learned it from uh, Bill Nevin. <laughs> so I go I go down this season a lot, and I check out the scorebook because for a long – remember remember COVID, Justin? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, we were, we were convinced or we were made to believe at the beginning of the season that that was going to become a problem, and it only bit West Virginia once, and it, it kind of laid low this season, so teams did a good job there, but – it just made sense to go down and check the scorebooks because I don't know the players and the other teams, what they look like face to face or without their jerseys on. So I was like, let's see who's here. Who's not And the Baylor game. <laughs> Bill Nevin's going Chamwa, Chachwa, Chamwa, Chachwa. Cause he's like right next to me, but like, I'm, I'm looking at the scorebook and he's Chamwa, Chachwa. And he nailed it every time. So, and that guy always has a good game against West Virginia. Yeah, seems like, so. yeah. So he's good. Yeah. Anyways, Bijan Cortez. Uh, if you had a stock option, would you buy or sell? Oh, freshman. Because this is one of the guys that we talked about on Press Row that I just prefer. There, there's a handful of guys that draw my eye. I have no idea why. I watch him on TV and then I see him in person. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're probably well, not as good as I make them out to be. And I get a lot of crap for this from people like you and, and Bob Herzl. And I know why he caught your eye. It's the hair. We, we are kindred. <laughs> uh, i tell you what. Uh... What, what is he? Is six three? I mean, he's a good sized kid. It's not like he's just some little dude out there, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a player too, like a, a pretty well liked recruit by a lot of services. And and I, I don't, I'm not making any negative statements here, but like you're like you just you would you pick out all right, which is the four star recruit over here? It's not him, is it? And all of a sudden, right? He's out yeah, there, he's he doesn't look like in. that guy. Yeah, I tell you what, it, it, to put it in the stock buying terms, I would I would buy. I just wouldn't uh, put the house on him. Mm. Okay. But I, I, you know, I, I'd put a little bit of money in that stock just to see, uh, you know, see if it takes off a little bit. I think, uh, you know, a couple of years down the road, he could potentially, uh, you know, be that kind of guy that, uh, you know, oh, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, an all big 12 first or second team, or he could be that kind of guy. He's, he's got the, the Devendorf ish like i'm gonna be on campus for 11 years and drive you crazy kind of vibe to him like there's always yeah. guys in the league oh, yeah. like that and like that's he plays that way where he's gonna bug you and he's just gonna you know he he has good moments and bad moments against west virginia but like i watch him I'm like that's a guy who's got a chance to surprise a lot of people in the league uh let's close on this put you on the spot justin jackson prediction about basketball could be the next week it could be next year but the you heard it here first I'll talk for a couple more seconds to let you think about it. But one of those things that you got a hunch, maybe you have some intel. 
And it has to do with an important thing, an important player, an important concern about West Virginia. Um, but you have a hunch. You have some a tip that says, keep an eye on this or don't worry about this. Or I think this will happen. It's going to make people feel better or at least answer a question or a concern they have. What do you say? Well, I'm over for one of my hunches for this year. I went in, I went into this season thinking or believing my hunch was going to be that Kobe Johnson was going to be the starting point guard before the end of the year. And that didn't happen. So well, you start a couple. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for next year. Oh, can I pass? <laughs> you mean <laughs> you like you're going to be the point guard? I need, I need a couple of seconds. No, I, I think, uh, well, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, Kedrian, if, if he does come back, it looks like he's going to come back. I think him and Kobe will certainly, you'll see Kobe get more playing time next year. I would like to see Kobe. I like his size potential. I think he could be a really good point guard in the big 12. Uh, I really like to see him get a, a, a chance to get more playing time next year. Uh, so yeah, I guess that would, I, I guess, can I, can I do that as a, as a second, second yeah. time punch? Yeah. You're doubling down. Yeah. Double, yeah. I, I bet on black and it came up red. So I'm, I'm doubling down on black. Um, the other thing I would say as far as heading into next year, someone, I don't know, you know, we talked about the, you know, the core of young guys and this guy and that guy and, and developing and what something's going to happen in the off season, just because it always does. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, does Jalen Bridges maybe transfer? Does Isaiah Petrell maybe transfer? Does, uh, you know, any of these other freshmen, uh, something's going to happen because it just seems like it always does. It, it's been a long, long time before West Virginia has gone through an off season with no drama. In fact, I can't remember the last off season West Virginia had with, with no drama. I don't know what the drama will be this year, but my hunch is, is that there will be some. Okay. You heard it here first. Yeah. And I, I wish I, I wish I could be, uh, I wish I could throw out some names, but I, I, I no, I get you. I, I would go, I would go this. I'll, I'll stick with you there. Cause that's just the law of averages in college sports, especially college basketball. Um, I think there's an, Oh, wow. Moment in the off season. And I don't know if it's a negative or a positive, maybe both, but like, I, I can see, I can see there just be, I can see there being collateral damage from a season that ends like this one went right. I can just see that being the thing because kids want to win or kids want to be in a better situation and they don't have to wait anymore. I can see that being a thing. And if you're looking at two or three or four more years of this, maybe you don't want to do it. So that could be one, but I could also see like, uh, an obsessed Huggins and his staff pulling off like an oh wow transfer like getting somebody that people recognize and as a high scorer or as a big time shot blocker rebounder I could see that being it too but I, I do I'm with you on that on that regard that I can see there being a oh okay like one of those headlines in the offseason but it might also be bad like oh okay now we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that too I wouldn't I wouldn't discount the possibility if 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 they do go out you know and, and I actually that was another thing I was going to say too if they do go out and kind of get that uh, transfer that oh wow guy does it have to be another guy from a power five conference do you think well it depends like if you get a top scorer from like the missouri valley who's like a 22 points a game guy or like something like that or yeah you know, there's there's some big guys for example from like like a big guy from um, there's some names out there that are that have connections and you know the player of the year in the big south from winthrop there's some talk that maybe that guy's going to get out of there because he wants to see what he can do and he's like six eight two seventy five right sure 
would that like a guy who averages like 15 and 13, would that be an oh wow guy for you? Because he's from the Southern yeah. Conference. I don't know, would, but like that would solve some problems, maybe. It would be an oh. I don't know if it'd be an oh wow. You know what I mean? I I I really have to see him first, you know. We'll get the tape going. <laughs> yeah, I have to go back and uh, open up the film room, open up the uh, man cave. Um, we can do it. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there are certainly guys out there. I mean, you look at the the, the kid from uh, Oral Roberts that went to Texas Tech this, uh, the O'Banner kid, and mm-hmm. she had a very solid year for Texas Tech this year. Uh, I mean, there are guys at smaller schools and smaller conferences that can make an impact at the uh, big or at the Power Five level. Um, in order to get that, oh, wow, though, I, I think you'd have to kind of maybe get another good player from a really big school, I think. Okay. May, may, maybe they do that. Maybe they don't. I don't know. We'll see. Emma Matthews? Jordan McCabe? They'll be out there, right? They got another year left. Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, I, I, I would certainly say, oh, wow, if Emmett Matthews came back to West Virginia. That would definitely be an oh, wow. Uh, he did senior day. Jordan McCabe did not do senior day. Jordan McCabe has had a really, really good year at UNLV. I've been over this in the pod. They miss him. They're not worse with those two guys back this year. I, I, and I suspect they don't lose seven in a row twice in 15 games just because culture. You know, they talked about that, that whole CBI thing we talked about earlier. That was about getting, you know, getting the mood right, getting the atmosphere right, getting the culture right. Um, when's the last time, Justin, that we were out at the game afterwards and people were shooting free throws? Oh, never saw it this year, right? And that's a small a snapshot. Years, right? Yeah, but that's a small snapshot of that. But like you, you would see, you would see guys after games working a two o'clock game, uh, an eight p.m. game. You would see guys after the game working, and and this team, you know, just for whatever reason, never quite had that same that same spirit. I'll tell you, I'll give you a scoop. You ready for a scoop on this team? All right. Now, this comes our uh, from our photographer here at the Dominion Post, and and obviously, you know, with the photographers, they kind of work down in the belly of the Coliseum, which is mm-hmm. where. They- their work areas players they come out of the locker room and they they're you know they go through that area to get on the elevator to you know to go back upstairs and to their cars or whatever our photographer will he has told me probably a dozen stories this year about you know he's working and he's hearing the players talk as they walk by and very rarely have those players talked about being disappointed in the loss more so than not, they're talking about, uh, you know, which, you know, where they're going to go hang out at, you know, which club they're going to go to, which we, you know, this, that, and the other, he says very rarely has it been about the disappointment uh, from just losing, you know, 10, 20 minutes earlier. It's all about going out and having fun afterwards. I think that might be kind of a telling stat about this team as well. Are they sending the, each other those messages on Snapchat or uh, Twitter? Cause they all jump on Instagram. They all jump on some type of social media after the game too. Like See, really, be, really quickly. That's your neighborhood. That's your neighborhood there. I'm not uh, that I would know about. We're going to leave with this. He is Justin Jackson from the Dominion Post. You all should demand that he bring the blog back. <laughs> the gambling role has not been the same since it disappeared. Justin, thanks for gracing us with your presence today. I know you had a very important haircut you had to get to and cut short. <laughs> Which is not a joke. Uh, uh, you actually know, this is true. You left the haircut place so you can make the podcast on time. I appreciate it. Everybody listens, appreciating it. Really quickly, plug some business. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, BigJacks3211 or on the DominionPost.com. Uh, we're on there every day. Every day. Bring back the blog. Until next time, Justin, thank you. We'll do it again soon. Mike, I really appreciate it, man. I had a lot of fun.